as we continue in our Jesus Plus Nothing series, just walking through the book of Colossians together. Uh, Today we're at the end of Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29, okay? Colossians 1, verse 24 through verse 29. Now, I know some of you either have lived or maybe are now living in, in a neighborhood that has some pretty stringent homeowner association requirements. Anybody? HOA requirements. Some of the most bizarre ones I've seen is there's one that an HOA required a dress code to host a garage sale. That's interesting, isn't it? One charges $10 a night per guest that stays in your own home with a two-night max stay. That sounds great for in-laws, right? (laughs) I love you, Nana. Just joking. Mr. Larry, you too. But one of the oddest HOA requirements is this. In in a village in Antarctica, uh, a remote place, obviously, so the people that live there mainly are scientists, but if you live there, you have to be willing to submit to a voluntary appendectomy. Have your appendix removed. Because if it bursts, you're 600 miles away from the nearest hospital. There's no way they can get you there. You know, when Paul the Apostle... When Peter and John and Matthew and you and I and other disciples of Christ, we begin to understand something about being a disciple of Christ. That means that we have been bought at a price. We no longer belong to ourselves. Somebody else owns us, right? Jesus. And so we surrender everything to him, even our own bodies. Everything we have and everything we are, we surrender to him. And Paul began to understand that when he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus asked Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul, Saul had this life-changing encounter with Christ. He began to understand. In fact, Jesus said this of Saul, soon to become Paul. Here's what he said of him in that road to Damascus experience. Here's what Jesus said. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So today I want to speak to you real quickly on the subject to serve or to be served. And Colossians 1 makes it clear which one that is. Either we're followers of Christ in order to serve or in order to be served. So let's look together. Colossians 1, 24. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, look at this, church. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all this his his energy that he powerfully works 
within me. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us today hear and respond to your word and God's people said. So we're saved to serve. That's our takeaway main idea. We are saved in order to serve. We're not saved to sit on the sidelines. We're not saved to sulk. We're not saved to be out of sorts. We're saved to serve. There's many ways that we can serve depending upon your giftedness or my giftedness, but we're saved to serve. And so what I want to show you here is, of course, in Ephesians we learn that we're saved from something, obviously. Even here in Colossians, earlier in the chapter, we learn that we're reconciled to God, that He has made peace by the blood of Jesus' cross, and we're reconciled to Him through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That we're saved from the wrath of God. Amen? That Christ has satisfied God's wrath. That we're saved from our sin and the penalty of sin and the power of sin and one day the presence of sin. And yes, yes, yes to all of that. But we're also saved to something. And this is what we really want to focus on today. What are we saved to? So I want to give you several insights, about five insights here on what it means that we're saved to serve. Number one... We are saved to suffer momentarily. And that's kind of strange that we're saved to suffer. But, uh, but don't be discouraged by this. In fact, this should encourage us that we're saved to suffer momentarily. Uh, notice, or I wonder, have you ever noticed that when you clean something, you're really not cleaning anything. You're just making something else dirty. You ever notice that? You're just taking the dirt from one place and putting it somewhere else, right? Christ, who was clean, 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 he who knew no sin became sin for us. All the dirt, all the filthy rags, all our dirtiness was put on Christ He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He became dirty so we could become clean. And Paul understood that. He even speaks to that earlier in chapter 1, how he makes peace by the blood of his cross. He reconciles to himself all things. But now Paul says, it takes a little personal turn in this letter. If you look at verse 24, it begins to shift a little bit. Uh, Paul begins to share personally what does this mean for him who has been reconciled to Christ. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Very personal. Took a personal turn here. And let me tell you, Paul suffered. You go to 2 Corinthians 11 and here's what you'll read from the Apostle Paul himself. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from the brothers, from the false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. Why did he suffer like that? Why was Paul suffering like that? What, what was the context of all that suffering? He was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He was taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And so he suffered. 
And he is saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Those were Paul's afflictions. Your afflictions and my afflictions won't be exactly the same as Paul's afflictions, but we need to know that the occurrence and the nature of being afflicted and persecuted for the cause of Christ should be expected by every follower of Jesus. Jesus says, remember this, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you. Blessed are you when others uh, speak evil against you on my account. And then he says this, Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, you're not called to be the best Apostle Paul you can be. You're not called to be the best Paul you can be unless your name is Paul, right? You're called to be the best you you can be, that God created you to be. That's what you're called to be, to suffer for taking the gospel to your neighbors and to the nations. There's some afflictions and some suffering and some persecution that's going to accompany that. And praise God, the Bible tells us the truth. It doesn't sugarcoat this. It tells us the truth. In fact, Paul says, I do this for your sake. For the sake of the church, if you look down a little further in verse number 24, for the sake of his body, that is the church. He, 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 he received this from Christ. For Christ said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, Saul, Saul was persecuting the church. He was persecuting the followers of the way. And Jesus associates himself with the church. I'm so glad that Jesus will never divorce his bride. Aren't you? <laughs> you can't separate the two. They go together. And Paul, for the sake of the church, is rejoicing in his sufferings related to sharing the gospel. In fact, Paul in Philippians says it this way, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better Far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul understood he was called to be an apostle uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You and I are called to do the same. The Great Commission is for you, it's for me. And Paul, his burden for the church is clear in 2 Corinthians 11. At the, li- at the end of his list of sufferings, this is what he put. There is the daily pressure on me. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. (laughs) He carried quite a burden for the church. The the church mattered to Paul. It matters to Jesus. I know it matters to you. Or you wouldn't be here. Whether you're online or in person, you wouldn't be here if the church didn't matter to you. I know it matters to me. I know it matters to you. And Paul says, I do this for the sake of his body. That is the church. And then Paul makes this statement that has been debated hotly for many, many years. Look at this. Verse number 24, right in the middle. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, at first glance, you may say, well, is Paul suggesting that Christ and him crucified is insufficient? That Paul has to add to what Christ has done? That Paul had to supplement 
Christ's afflictions on the cross because it wasn't enough to save us? Is that what Paul is teaching? Of course not. Paul is teaching that salvation is secure in Christ, that Christ secured our salvation, that the redemptive work is finished at the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. But then Paul says, our responsibility as the church is to spread this salvation. Christ has secured it and his church spreads it. That's our job. That's your role and that's my role. And that was Paul's role. Paul is saying here that Christ suffered to secure it and we suffer to spread it. And then he makes this statement, I rejoice. I rejoice. He he frames it with this idea of rejoicing in his sufferings. And it's not the first time we hear this from Paul. In Philippians he said, but whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted all a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he's, he's rejoicing in it. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds. Rejoice in your suffering. In Acts 16, we have Paul and Silas at midnight praising God, singing hymns to God because they're in prison based on the testimony of Christ. He's living it out in Acts 16. I, I, I heard one of our missionaries sharing about a church plant in Southeast Asia. They're in a they're an underground church. Okay? They're worshiping in secret. They were gathered together. They were walking through Acts 16 as a whole church. They had the children doing a little craft using those pipe cleaners. Anybody remember those pipe cleaners? They used those for the bars on the jail cell. They were making little crafts and the children were and the adults were talking about this text in Acts 16 and in the midst of teaching this and, and studying this and learning this, the authorities burst in and arrested the leaders and some adults and hauled them off to, to jail. So those leaders and adults, what they do, they begin to praise God and sing hymns and worship in jail. They were living that out. Talk about immediate application, huh? And then when, upon their release, they came back to the church. They were sharing their testimony with them. And one of the little girls, that were making a, she was making a craft. And they were asking her what she would do if she was taken to jail and prison. And she said, well, I'd, I'd look at the police officer and I'd say, you're no longer my teacher. Jesus is my teacher. And I'd worship him. Paul says, look, I'm, I'll rejoice in this. That I'm counted worthy to suffer for the sake and the name of Christ. This doesn't make sense to the world. I understand that. We're not saved to suffer. But yes we are. We're saved to suffer. But it's only momentarily. And Jesus said hey. In this world you're going to face trouble. But take heart. And the word take heart. It literally means cheer up. That's what it means. Cheer up. For I've overcome the world. Jesus said. Romans 8, Paul says very clearly, For I consider this momentary affliction, I consider this suffering of this present time, they're not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Spurgeon said it like this, The best moment of a Christian's life is his last moment because that is the moment that he is nearest heaven. Yes, we suffer, but it's only momentarily. Here's the second insight into what does it look like to serve as Paul explains it here. Number two, we are saved to do ministry. 
Amen? Amen, church? We're saved to do the works that God has planned for us to do, to do ministry. We're not saved by doing ministry. We're saved to do it. Uh, You've probably said this. I know I've said this in the past. Well, we do that that way as a church because we've always done it that way, right? Well, years ago, we got to be careful when we use that statement because years ago, you can find this in church history. Years ago, the sermons would last three hours, okay? And, And the preacher would sit and the congregation stood for three hours. Now, we can go back to that if y'all want to. Anybody want to vote for that? No, didn't think so. So here, here what we see is, I know Paul the Apostle could preach for three hours. I know. I, and that's what he said. He, he's been given the ministry to make, to make the Word of God fully known. And I know for a fact he was long-winded. Just read his letters. He'll have a whole chapter will be one sentence. It's craziness. So I know he could preach a long time. And that was the mission God gave him to do. He was a servant of that. To take the word of God and to make it fully known. A servant, a courier, a carrier of the gospel, a minister, a helper, an agent of carrying this gospel to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. That's what he was called to, to, to this church in Colossae. To the church, the Colossian church, to the Chattanooga church, to the big C church, little C church, to the large church, to the local church. He was called to take the gospel uh, to the churches. And I know Paul longed to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not good and faithful apostle. Not good and faithful bishop or preacher or missionary or worship leader, but servant. When you read about Job and Moses and David, when you read about even Jesus and even Caleb, they are referred to from God as my servant. Man, there's no higher calling than being a servant of God. No, no better calling. No higher calling. And Paul says in verse 25, of which I became a minister. A servant, that's what that word means, servant, according to. Now now notice this, he's given according to or from God. So it's given to him from God. Now remember, there's false teachers that are teaching in this day, in this time, in this context. And they're teaching you've got to have more than Christ. Christ is a good starting place, he's not enough. He's not sufficient, you've got to have more. That's why Paul's preaching Christ is preeminent right he's not prominent he's preeminent and so Paul is again making clear I have not self-appointed myself as a servant God in fact in Galatians 1 you can read Paul said he set me apart before I was born Paul says God chose me before I was born to be a minister of this word so Paul is saying God chose me I didn't self-appoint myself like these self-appointing heretics are teaching you. You have to add to the gospel. They appointed themselves. God appointed me. According, he's been given this ministry. He's become a minister according to the stewardship from God. Not from man, not from himself, from God. And the word stewardship means responsibility, task, work, 
duty. I've been given the task. I've been given the work. I've been given the duty. I've been given the stewardship of making the Word of God fully known. That was Paul's gifting. That's how he was gifted. Peter says we all have a gift. If you're in Christ, you've been given a gift. In fact, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Some of you are gifted in uh, teaching. Some of you are gifted in mercy or gifted in uh, serving in this way or that way. And, And you've got these giftings from the Holy Spirit that you're to take and use to advance the gospel. So my question is, how are you steering the ship of stewardship? How are you steering it? How are you stewarding your suffering? How are you steering the stewardship of grace and the gospel and your highs and your lows and your testimony? How are you steering what God has given you? He has entrusted that gift to you. Now, will you trust him and use that gift he entrusted to you? Paul says, I'm doing it. He makes it clear. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. And what does it say after to me, church? What does it say? Given to me for who? For you. See, here's, you need to know this too. Your gift was not given to you for you. Your gift was given to you for you to give it away. It was not given to you for you. It was given to you so you could use it to help somebody else. It was given to you for it to be given That's what gifts are for. You give gifts. When you receive them, you turn around and give them. So where are you serving in the context of this local church? Well, two Sundays from today, we have a World Missions Conference. Dr. Paul Chitwood will be here to preach on Sunday morning, president of the International Mission Board. And then during the Life Group Hour, we're going to have a missions expo. We'll have a lot of booths set up, booths that will represent ministries in our church. What we do locally, nationally, internationally. We're also going to have a booth called Serve Within the Church. And all the different ways that you can get plugged in and serve in your gifting. Hey, this is what God's called us to. We're saved to do ministry. So let me encourage you to find your spot and get plugged in and serve. Number three. Uh, we're saved to make known the mystery. How many of you like a good mystery? Boy, I like a good mystery. I like Sherlock Holmes. I like the way he deduces. He'll take a, a crime scene or, uh, and he'll deduce from it. That's one way that we teach to study the word is the deductive method, right? And so I love a good mystery. Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson, they were riding on a train. Probably the train on Hamill Road probably or I know Thrasher too I don't want to leave out the Thrasher folks and they passed a huge flock of sheep quickly I mean in a moment they were they were there they were gone they passed it just like that and Watson said man I wonder how many that was a lot of sheep I wonder how many sheep there were Sherlock said elementary Watson 167 sheep said, Sherlock, you mean to tell me you, you counted those sheep in that moment that we passed by? He said, don't be silly, Watson. I didn't count the sheep. I counted every leg and divided by four. <laughs> I love a Sherlock mystery. Well, this is no mystery. 
The mystery has now been revealed. It's no longer a mystery that is hidden. It's still a mystery because the unbelievers are blinded, but it's a mystery that's been revealed to us. His saints, Paul says. And saints means the church. That's what that means. Believers and disciples of Jesus. The church. And so he has been called to make the word of God fully known. That's a great definition of expository preaching. If you want to know what expository preaching or teaching is, it is making the word of God fully known. It's exposing the text. It's expounding the scripture. It's pulling your points and and the main idea right from the truths of the text itself. It's applying and explaining the biblical text. That's what it is. And that's what Paul did. That's what he did. In Acts, we're told that for a year and a half, Paul taught the church at Corinth. He stayed there for a year and six months, and he taught them the Word of God. That was his calling, to make the Word of God fully known. And so what is this mystery that we're making known here? Here's the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What does that mean, hidden for ages and generations? Well, it's always been present in the will of God, in in the word of God, in the plan of God, in the prophecy of God. It's always been here, but it didn't become reality, not actuality, until the person of Christ appeared and he lived his life and he bled on the cross for you and for me and he was buried and raised to life. And now it's been revealed. On this side of the cross now, After the resurrection of Christ has now been revealed to the saints, to the church. This mystery hidden for ages and for generations has now been revealed. See, Jesus did not die. Please don't get this twisted. Jesus did not die as a martyr. Jesus did not die as an example. Jesus died as a substitute. Substitutionary atonement. His atoning death paid the penalty of your sin and my sin. Meaning you didn't pay the penalty for your sin if you're in Christ, nor will you ever. Christ was your substitute and he paid it for you. That's the mystery that was hidden but now has been revealed. Another way he describes it here is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. What does that mean? Well, when you become a follower of Christ, when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to reside within you. And that is Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's Christ in you. The fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit Himself. He is our guarantee of the inheritance that is to come, heaven, with God Almighty and His saints. This this is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's for every race, tribe, language, and people. Every tongue, every nation. It's a game changer. So when we get to the place where we know Jesus, then we're to make Him known. We know Jesus for one reason, to make Him known. We know Him to make Him known. We know Him, we rejoice in knowing Him, we get excited about knowing Him, and then we tell everybody we know about Him. We know Him to make Him known. You can call it evangelism, gospel conversations, personal uh, witnessing, whatever you want to call it, but it's knowing Christ and making Him known. Here's, Here's a little small 
clip, a little video. It's very short, but it perfectly captures what it means to be an evangelist. Look at this. Look at that guy. He's fired up, isn't he? Then he gave it away. As soon as he got it, he gave it away. That's what it means to come to know Christ, get excited about it, and then tell somebody, give it away. And so th- this is making known this mystery. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're saved, to make known the mystery of Christ and Him crucified. Number four, we're saved to grow in maturity. <laughs> we, got, we need to grow up, not just grow old, right? but grow up, mature. In fact, that's, that's Paul's goal. That's his aim. He says, I'm a minister according to this, so I can teach this, so I can preach this, so I can warn everyone. But the purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity. Growing up. What's the fastest land mammal on planet Earth? Go. What are Cheetah. Fastest land mammal. Cheetah. Anybody else? I would say it's a toddler. Who is taught, who has asked the question, what's that in your mouth? Bam, they're gone. She gone, he gone. You know, there comes a point, doesn't it, in every parent's life when you come to the place and you realize when you pick your child up and you hold them in your arms that there's coming a day that that will be the last time you pick them up and hold them in your arms, right? Why? Because they grow up. They just grow up physically. It's not hard to grow up physically. You just throw them some food every now and then, right? And they grow up physically. But growing up spiritually, it's going to take a little effort. You're going to have to exert some effort to grow up spiritually. To mature in Christ takes effort. No, you're not saved by any effort on your own. You're saved by the unmerited, unearned, undeserved grace of God. But once saved, if you're going to grow, it's going to take some effort. And so here's what Paul gets at here in verse number 28. Him we proclaim. Christ and Him crucified. Paul came teaching nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That's all he came to preach. And that's all he came to teach. Him we proclaim. In other words, the gospel is a person. The gospel is not a program. It's not good advice. It's not good deeds. It's not good works. It's not good ideas or good vibes or a good try. The gospel is good news. It's the person of Jesus. Him we proclaim. Proclaim means to declare, to make known, (laughs) to preach with boldness and confidence. And Paul says, him we proclaim. And, And then he says this, warning everyone. Look at that in verse number 28. Warning everyone. That word warning means to admonish. Admonishing everyone. Confronting everyone. It's uncomfortable to have a gospel conversation. It's awkward to tell people you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The gospel is offensive. We need to be okay with that. We need to be okay knowing that when we talk about Jesus, it's going to be awkward. 
We need to be okay with awkwardness. Because it is confrontational. When you tell somebody, hey, there's a Savior. Well, why do I need a Savior? I'm fine. No, you're really not. Well, I got a job. I got a good family. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what about spiritually? What about inner peace and inner joy and inner satisfaction? And and that only comes through Christ. Well, I want some of that. Well, to get that, you got to admit you're a sinner. Well, I, I do good things. I'm not a sinner. It's very confrontational. It's very uncomfortable. But Paul said, this is what we do. We warn everyone. We admonish. We confront them. Because there's an aspect of having a gospel conversation. Well, you got to call somebody to repent. I mean, you can love on them all you want to. And you can be friends with them and, and do this do this friendship evangelism all you want to, but if you don't call them to repentance, that's not friendship and that's not evangelism. It's neither one of them. There comes a place where we have to ask somebody to turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ. Paul says, we warn them. We proclaim him, we warn them, and then here's the discipleship piece. Look at this. We teach them. Teaching everyone with all wisdom, verse 28. Teaching everyone. With all wisdom. There's no more wisdom outside of Christ. There's no more knowledge outside of Christ. We've got it right here. Paul says you don't need any of this nonsense Gnosticism that these Gnostic false teachers are spewing. You need Christ. And this is an orderly presentation of Christian truth is teaching. We take the tenets of the faith and we teach them. We want all of God's people to get all of God's truth when we teach them. Bible study, Bible teaching, discipleship, the crying need of the church. Because Paul's ultimate goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Somebody say, in Christ. In Christ. Friday, Tanya and I went to Winston-Salem, North Carolina to see Dr. V. Dr. V is her her doctor uh, that she... Diagnosed several years ago with a rare form of cancer, and he has been her doctor. And Dr. V's from Greece, and not easy to understand. I learned quickly how to understand what he was saying, and listen very closely to what he says. So we went for her 18-month scan uh, this past Friday, and we walk in, and she has her scan, and we're sitting in the room, and. Dr. V walks into the room, and he's hard to understand anyway, but now he has a mask on, so really hard to understand. But, man, I heard this as clear as a bell. Go home. Don't come back for two years. That's a good word from a doctor, isn't it? Amen. Yes. Praise the Lord. And see, this was our second appointment that we've had to reschedule this year because the first one, we couldn't go because of an ice storm between us and Winston-Salem. And the second reason we had to reschedule, Dr. V couldn't be there. He, he, he wasn't in. Well, Tanya and I were not interested in driving 377 miles to see an assistant of Dr. V, to see a disciple of Dr. V, to see a student intern of Dr. V. We weren't interested in driving 377 miles one way to see the Uh, report or the research Dr. V had done on Tanya's medical condition or to see the scan uh, signed by Dr. V that he did on Tanya's medical condition. We were only interested in seeing Dr. V. 
just want to see the doctor. Don't want to see anybody else. He's the expert. He's a great physician. I want to see him. You know, Paul says that his aim and his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Not mature in the teachings about Christ. Not mature in another disciple of Christ. No, Paul says, don't settle. Don't settle for a disciple of Christ. Don't settle for the teachings of Christ or the doctrine or theology of Christ. Get the real thing. Get Christ. I long for the day when Tanya and I walk in to Dr. V's office and Dr. V says, Tanya, don't ever come back. I long for the day when he looks at her and says, you have matured in such a way physically from this a medical condition that you don't have to come back. But man, I long even more for the day when the Lord Jesus returns and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or the day when I go to him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be sure that today I'm a little more mature in Christ than I was yesterday. And how do we do that? It's making the Word of God fully known. Well, how do I make the Word of God known? you got to know it, right? You get in the Word until it gets into you, and then you give it away. You get in the Word until it gets into you, and then you give it away. You get in the Word until it gets into you, and then you give it away. And you do that until the day you breathe your last breath. This is what we're called to do, to mature in Christ. You say, well, that sounds like work. Yes, it is. And that leads us to the fifth and final insight. We are saved to struggle mightily. We are saved to struggle mightily. Paul uses some very intense words here to describe this work. For he says in verse 29, I toil. That word is labor. I labor. I toil. You, you can picture, or, or, or then the word is struggling with all. So he's, toil, he's laboring and striving. You, you can picture a, a lady in, in the throes of, of childbirth. Or, or you can picture an athlete who is breaking, doing some just back-breaking training to make the Olympic team. The, the way an Olympian might train. The work, the labor, the striving, the struggle that goes into that. Paul is very clear here. You can't be lazy and be a disciple of Jesus. You, you can't. You can't be lazy and follow Christ. For we're saved to struggle mightily. And that, what makes that even harder is the time we live in. We live in a day when this is not popular. Now, I'm not saying it ever was popular, but years ago it was at least a little more popular than it is. I mean, today, you know what day we, we live in a day when babies are being eliminated. COVID protocols are, are mandated. Death is perpetuated. Evil is propagated. 
Truth is terminated. Sin is celebrated. Manhood is decimated. Womanhood is denigrated. Responsibility is eradicated. And in this day that we're living in, we must not be intimidated. For the Holy Spirit can't be barricaded. And His power cannot be overstated. And Paul says, yes, I toil. And yes, I struggle. But I do it with all His energy. With all the Holy Spirit's energy. Not mine. With all Jesus' energy. Not mine. I toil and I struggle with all His energy that He mightily works within me. It's talking about struggling mightily. Struggling not by our own power or our own effort, but struggling through the power and presence and energy of the Holy Spirit that's working through us. It is hard work studying the Word of God. Anybody can testify to that? One of our ladies in the church, she was pouring into this young lady who's far from God, and she was pointing her to God, and the young lady said, man, I just need something to read that's going to inspire me. And one of our followers of Christ here at church said, well, have you tried the Bible? I said, yeah, I've tried the Bible. I, I can't understand it. And this follower of Christ said, I know, it's hard to understand, isn't it? But sometimes I can't understand it. It's hard to study the Word of God, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a struggle. It's work. It's laborsome. It's so, man, when you uncover a tidbit of truth, though, it's so rewarding. But meanwhile, it is a struggle, and it is a toil, and it's hard work, and it should be. It's expected to be. We're told it's going to be. When you're studying the Word of God, you ought to feel like you're trying to tackle Derrick Henry. That's how you ought to feel. It's not easy. It's hard. But through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, He empowers us to do it. Discipling another person is not easy. That's hard to do. Having a gospel conversation is not easy. That's hard to do. But we don't do it in our own power. We do it through the Holy Spirit working with us, in us, through us. You know, the Bible says with God all things are possible. Right? It doesn't say with God all things are easy. It's not easy, but it's possible. Father, we thank you that we're saved to serve. Lord, it's an incredible revelation for us that you desire to use us. That's, that's mind-boggling to me, that your plan includes us and there's no other plan. That for disciples to be made, for fishers of men to be caught and made and turn around and go fishing again. You, you use us to do that. That, Wow, Father, wow. 